Well, I rise up every morning at a quarter to eight. Some woman who's my wife tells me not to be late. I kiss the kids goodbye, I can't remember their names. And week after week, it's always the same. And it's old boys, can't you And we are back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by Generous United. Generous United is a membership-based buying group headquartered right here in Atlantic Canada. Their goal, their mission is to make sure prescription drugs are more affordable so we could all live healthier lives. If you're able to save money in one aspect of healthcare, it will allow you to expand other aspects of healthcare. Maybe you want to get a massage. Maybe you haven't been to the dentist in a while. You want some acupuncture. Maybe you need new soles for your shoes. I don't know, whatever you need. If you're able to save money on one aspect of healthcare, like your prescription drugs, you're going to be able to afford other aspects of healthcare. So, Generous United, they'll team up with a pharmacist, a local member of your community, and they will give you a free online attentive service that will allow you to save money. Head on over to generousunited.ca. That's G-E-N-R-U-S united.ca. Today's episode is also brought to you by Crypto Vantage. Crypto Vantage. Everyone knows cryptocurrency is here. It's here to stay. You hear about it at the water cooler talk, at the office, at your dinner table, on the sidewalk, wherever you go. NFTs, what are those? Everybody needs to know. That's why Crypto Vantage and High Button Sports have teamed up to give you an online service that will allow you to know everything you need to know about cryptocurrency. Head on over to CryptoVantage.com slash High Button. Fill out the white paper at the bottom of the sheet. Crypto Vantage will send you a free online white paper that will allow you to know everything when it comes to the cryptocurrency world it's time for you to get ahead and it's time for you to become knowledgeable in the cryptocurrency world that's why we're happy here at high button sports to team up so you don't make the mistakes like people have in the past crypto advantage high button sports here for you today on the high button podcast we have jacob sanders jacob is an Olympic athlete. He represents Team Canada for sailing. He's been to the Olympics twice, 2016 in Rio and 2020 in Tokyo. He also has a brother, Graham, and both of them won Rookie Sailors of the Year for Canada in 2012. In between the time of 2016 and the 2020 Olympics, Jacob went back to school and got his engineering degree. This guy keeps busy. Jacob has also competed in other events like the Miami Worlds uh, in 2016. It's going to be a great podcast. I love talking to athletes that we don't necessarily talk to every day, and sailing is just one of those sports that I admire but I know nothing about, so it's going to be a great episode. I'm Justin. We're talking to Jacob Sanders. This is the High Button Podcast. Here we go. You know what comes next. Boom, Jacob, we're going. Thank you very much for uh, for joining the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You made it right. You made it right before the snowstorm. Yeah, hopefully. You might have to stay here right after right after the episode. We might be snowed I, in. You got a couch? I do got a couch. It's upstairs. The girlfriend might not be too happy. We got a guest, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll right. make sure it's all good. I'm an excellent guest. So do you live too good? Do you live out in Chester? You, like, yeah, yeah, I do. I grew up there, but uh, just over a year ago, I actually bought a house and moved back. Dude, congrats! Town, you, you live so. in Chester. Yeah, that's like my. That's great. Th- my buddy has a cottage there. We go to uh, was a Kiwi Cafe. Oh, nice. We'll take morning dips, five a.m. Get rid of the hangover a little. Like, I just, I just oh, love yeah. Chester. It's a good, it's a good energy there. It's a good vibe for sure. I love it. I can walk to the water. I can walk to the yacht club. You know, small town life. I grew up in a small town, so I was living in Halifax for eight or nine years, but uh, just made the move back. Started commuting. Commuting kind of sucks, but it's worth it. What is it, like yeah. 30 minutes, 25 minutes? Uh, Depends who's in front of you on the highway. Yeah, 45 to 50 or something usually. So what? how old were you when you were in Chester growing up? Uh, we moved there like just after I was born, so I lived there till, you know, till university, and then I moved to Halifax when I was 18, went to Dow. Do you think growing up there at a young age made you more comfortable with the water? Because when you're in Chester, left, right, and center, the water's everywhere. Oh, yeah, for sure. My, like, my dad's from Alberta. My mom's kind of from the prairies, but grew up a bit in Nova Scotia. Oh, yeah. So we just started sailing because, like, it was the thing to do. It was cheaper than daycare. You know, you walk down the street <laughs> and go to sailing lessons. Like, that was what you did. So all the neighborhood kids were going, and we just went to the club and started to get on the water early. You must. We could probably do a whole separate podcast on Chester Race Week and the stories you probably— oh, I man. heard that's a sassy time. I've never been, but I heard it's a great time. It is. That's the best, like, combination of partying and sailing, for sure. <laughs> but those stories need to stay under lock yeah, I was going to say, yeah. That's for a different podcast. No, but, uh, no, that's awesome. I, I've never been to Chester Race Week, Race Week, but I've had buddies that have gone, and 
they say I'm an absolute idiot for not going. So I think this might be the year coming up that I'll Next have to time. go. Yeah, shoot me a text. I will. You're oh welcome. yeah, I'll crash on your couch tonight. Crash on my couch. Chess race week. Dude, I like these. I like this guy. Hey, we we're making business moves already. We're helping <laughs> each other out. So how did the if your if your parents are from the prairies like the how did the how did everything end up here in Chester or in Nova yeah. Scotia? How did that come about? So my mom like she grew up like having her summers in Nova Scotia. I guess her dad was a university professor in Manitoba, and then they spent like they had a summer house in lakeside so she was in nova scotia a lot growing up and then they always said they wanted to come back and uh, okay. yeah they moved back i guess yeah before i was born did they have any interest in sailing before you became interested in it no but lately they've taken to it you know just a few years ago they bought their first sailboat and they love taking it out they, they're into cruising and they race on their friends boats and stuff so wow they've taken to it too so was chester what a yacht club or boat club? What do I call it? The it is Chester Yacht Club. Yacht yeah. Club. Yeah. So is that the club that introduced you to sailing at the very beginning of your childhood? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So most like yacht clubs or sailing centers, they have junior sailing, which usually starts when kids are like as young as six or seven. They do like a wet feed program just to get you in boats, and then yeah, when you I didn't start till I was ten. So is that late? It was like a little late, maybe a little later than average, but. Um, it was good. I mean, I started and I went to my first race, like the first year, like sometimes when you start younger, you might just like play around in the boats, like get comfortable, but you're probably not racing right away. So I started racing right away. Like first summer. When you're racing right away, are you with a partner? Or are you in a sailboat by yourself? So like a little baby. You're yeah. Like, yeah. Like a... Yeah. You sail these boats called opties. That's what everyone, it's short for optimist. Everyone learns in that. Like it's just a simple little square boat like a pram or like oh, you'd yeah. see somebody rowing out to there. I've seen them at the boat. WEG. There's like yeah. A, I've seen them the by over there kind of. Yeah. It's like a little. Exactly. It's a little boat. It was designed to be built out of like a single sheet of plywood. So it's just like little, simple, yeah. but it's great. Like you can sail out when you're a little kid, like 40, 50 pounds. And then kids race them like I did until I was 15. And there's like a big world championships and it's a big deal, but. It's a good boat to learn in. Do you have to have a certain level of swimming level before you start sailing? Like, do you have to have a, what yeah. are the levels? One to like one to fifth. I don't know what the levels are, uh, but I, I couldn't tell you. I don't remember, but I do like, there is something like before you start, you're supposed to have done. Yeah. We learned at the Lido pool. Like there's a public pool in Chester and we had swimming lessons. You had to get past a certain level. And then at a certain point, like they make you tip your boat over and go swimming and like flip it back again. Oh yeah. The tip test. <laughs> So what was the natural element to you becoming such a good sailor? Like, uh, like I don't what, know. what came yeah. comfortable to you really quickly, yeah. I guess? Like my brother and I both just took to it. Like we, we really liked it right away and Graham. started racing. Yeah. 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 My brother, Graham. So we competed together at the Rio Olympics. Yeah. We sailed together for six years. So, uh, yeah, we were really close and like when, but when we grew up racing, we were always racing separately and not on the same team. Okay. But I think just like the feel for it, like I was kind of good in light air when there's when there's light winds, you call it light air, like there's not that much sensation. But if you can feel the boat in that light wind, then maybe you've got a good feel. And then when it's really strong wind, you got to be able to feel speed and like how to make the boat go really fast. So when you say feel, are you saying you have a good feel for wind? Or are you saying you have a good feel for the boat or the actual sail or all three? Yeah, kind of both, I think. Like when you're young... Part of sailing, it takes years of experience, is like learning how to read the wind on the water. Like you read the little dark patches in the water, you read the waves, and and you start to analyze like how it's going to shift around different land features and geographic features and like forecasts and stuff. But when you're starting, like you don't know any of that, you just kind of react to whatever you have. So I think at first you just need that feel of like reacting to the wind changing and uh, and feeling the boat and like what what makes a boat go faster oh yeah because when it's a small boat like like all the olympic class boats now are small dinghies they call them like there's no big lead weight at the bottom of it like a keel boat like most of the big boats you see in the harbor so it's very reactive to your weight so it's really like you know, you're really engaged with the boat moving it around moving it through the waves how long does it take for someone to like master that skill of knowing or excuse me feeling yeah. the boat and the wind because i'm it's windy out. I just put my hood up. Like, what you you're embracing it though. Like, how how do you how long does that take? Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a lifetime endeavor, man. Like, the sport is uh, 
is crazy. Like the guys who win medals are sometimes in their forties and they've been doing it like oh, yeah? full time, you know, really racing hard since they were in their teenagers. So it's something you can always like hone and develop, but um yeah, it takes time. Like a lot of it, like reading the wind, I had no idea. Even when I was like fourteen, fifteen, I was racing in the worlds and I was just like I don't know. I hear people talking about this. I think it's all bullshit. But then <laughs> you just start guessing. Like, you guess what's going to happen based on what you see and then check yourself if you're right or wrong and try to come back to it. Try to get right more than half the time. And then yeah. if you're really good, you can be guessing the correctly like 90% of the time what's going to happen. I, you have to refresh my memory on Chester Basin. Is it a windy spot? It must be. It's pretty good, yeah. Like, where we grew up sailing is all all around Mahone Bay. So we'd sail outside the islands right in Chester Bay. And it's pretty consistent through the summer. It's good. It's uh, it's overall is a great place to sail. Like in the fall and spring, you get some really windy days, like storms blowing through. So there's good practice for that. But like on average, it's just like nice moderate wind. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you sail here year round or do you have to go down to Florida or? Yeah, we would we would usually go down to Florida. Like once I started racing internationally we we started training in florida so i think i spent like seven or eight christmases in a row in florida oh. we were always down there training yeah but this past year like before the tokyo games we couldn't go we were like we were trying to and the americans wanted us to come train with them and stuff but we couldn't we couldn't make it happen like juggling with work too and quarantines and everything it just wasn't wasn't worth it and uh always felt pretty risky so we trained here till like the first weekend of December and then we started back up again in March. So that was, you know, we, we only lost like three, four, three, was that three months, four months yeah. through the winter. Okay. But it's, know, it's pretty cold. When, <laughs> it's freezing. Yeah. When, when COVID's not a thing and the schedule's back to normal, are you, are you on the water every day? Uh, we do like, when I was training full time, we do five or six days on a week and yeah. And then take a break. But usually do like blocks. What's that? Like, so we do like a two or three week training block. And the neat thing about sailing is like, it's not like other sports where you can measure your performance. Like you can't do like a timed run and see how you're doing. Um, and on the Olympic boats, like there's not that much technology around allowed on board. Like you can train with a speedometer, but you're not allowed one in racing. Mm. So to know, and like, the weather's always different. Like the conditions change every day. Every venue you go to, like the waves and wind are different. So you got to have other boats on the water at the same time as you to get a comparison. Interesting. So like it's all about partnering with other good teams to like get together, do a training block and like push each other and see who can go fastest. So like even the top international teams who are racing against each other for medals, they do training camps together. Like the guys who are like silver and bronze medalists, they'll like do training camps together to try to push each other and get better before you get to a competition how early do you like to show up to the ocean yeah you're there a week before yeah kind of at least at, at least? least a week before sometimes we do like if it's a big event like we have a world championships we might go like for a trip earlier that summer like, like in miami yeah in miami we we train there like do a lot of training blocks and then we have the big event like the there was always a world cup event in Man miami and end of january yeah so we'd be training there december november december january and then we'd probably go back and train again in march when you found out that you made the olympics for the first time in 2016 what was the uh the actual race what place did you come in in order to qualify for it yeah that was uh that was the miami world miami Cup. okay in yeah 2016 uh or was it 15? yeah it would have been 2016 yeah so it was pretty pretty early on before the games and we had to qualify. We had to beat the Mexican team for our spot. And then we had to meet the criteria for Canada. Okay. And, yeah, we, we just, like, crushed it and had our best event. We came seventh that that event. So that was kind of our – that was our high. We were sailing really well. Like, the final race, we got second. And it was, like, a final doubles point race with just the top team. So How many people were on the boat for that? Just two people. Just two people. So you yeah. – wasn't your brother. You guys were against each other. It was my brother. It was then. your brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, our coach at that event was Oliver Bone, who then called me up and I started sailing with him. We did the Tokyo Olympics together. Wow. Yeah. 
Is the sailing community small in Canada? Like, could you know every single person right now in the sailing world in Canada at a higher level, like the level that you're at? Uh, yeah, like, it's it's a small world for sure, but we're also geographically so separated. Like, so, yeah, I, I think the sailing community in Canada is pretty small. Like, I know just most be- of the names and, like, know a lot of the guys just to, and girls to, like, to see them and, and chat with them and stuff. But also, there were times where there were other people racing and training like i said like you always want to train with other people near your level but when there were teams from vancouver sailing we were sailing out of halifax it's like unrealistic to train together because we'd have to drive our boats across the country i find it interesting when you say like we were sailing well and then before earlier in the podcast you're like it's hard to sail well because you have to look at the winds you have to look at everything that's going on but you said like your coach said yeah we were sailing really well in miami but if the winds aren't doing like hypothetically, if the winds weren't uh, you know great that day, what are other things that you can do in order to sail well? Like what does that mean? Like uh, you're pulling ropes, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Like looking from the outside, it just looks like you're sitting there and pulling ropes. Yeah. But, but like you're moving your body around well, you're you're adjusting to the the wind and the waves, and you're pulling ropes that are controlling the sail, and like you you have a lot of different controls. So it's really technical. There's like the there's the mast above the water holding up the sail and you can change the shape of that and then you can pull on the sail in different places to change the shape of the sail. It's kind of like if you ever been on a plane and sitting over the wing and like you look out at the wing and you know how they got all those flaps that change yeah. the shape. It's kind of like that. Like when the plane wants a lot of lift to take off, they like curve the wing more and make it longer and wider and then you use all that lift to get up in the air and then once you're 30,000 feet, they like slide them back in and make the plane wing flatter and like shorter so there's less drag so you kind of do the same thing with the sail on the water like when you're looking for a lot of power you make the sail deeper and shorter and like you're looking for grunt and like punch with the wind to to give the boat power and then you like hike against that and then once you start going faster you start to flatten the thing back out again reduce the drag just make the boat move through the water with less drag cool so there's there's changes like that's kind of what you're doing to control the sails from a big picture side. And then like with your weight, the wind is always changing. Like it's, it's really not steady at all. Like just snap of a finger, it's going. Yeah. Especially like closer to land you are, if the wind's blowing off the land, really shifty, like Halifax Harbor. Like I keep looking at this picture behind you and seeing all the, the little glassy spots and the dark spots. I'm seeing where the wind is and stuff like. So wait, so where so keep the camera on me right now so where is it windy could, like can you point out where it's yeah like you just had your hand over that little glassy spot there so this... that that dark patch that'd be a little little puff of wind and then and then what's up here this is dead. Uh, yeah likely i mean the the wind's not it's glassy because the wind didn't break the surface tension of the water and then like there's darker patches you can see puffs but that's a pretty light yeah light, light day. wind so it can be a bit deceiving but and the wind's also coming off the city so like those big buildings are making the wind turbulent and do all kinds of crazy things are you always like when you're training for the olympics or you're training just in general for um a competition are you worried about your weight like are you in the sauna every day trying to cut weight like how how much you like you're a lanky no you're a tall lanky guy are you worried about your weight yeah i was for sure and like i'm i'm heavier now i'm 10 pounds heavier than i was in or 15 maybe than i was in tokyo so you're trying to be uh, you're trying to maintain a good optimal weight because like for us an event is like a week long like the olympics like over nine days so it's not like boxing where you're trying to lose weight like sweat it out to get in through a weigh-in yeah um you want to like maintain this this steady weight and for the boat that we sailed is like kind of underpowered and um it wasn't expected to be a super windy event in tokyo so i was trying to be pretty light but I'm naturally pretty light, but I also like started trying to lose weight when I turned 18, started sailing this boat. So I kind of just my whole adult life been, been pretty light, but what, what do you do to lose weight? Uh, like before Rio, I was, I was really trying hard and I would, uh, I would go running, do like seven to 10 K in the morning and, and just have like coffee and butter like you know those bulletproof coffees just oh like, yeah it'll be on the toilet after yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. just espresso and butter and yeah. like just get the heart rate up go running yeah maybe eat like a, bo- a single boiled egg yeah and then train and it's kind of it was tough though like 
to be honest, though, I worked with nutritionists from the Sports Center Atlantic, and like they helped a lot. And oh yeah, keeping it balanced, but a lot of cardio and and hit training, like high intensity interval training. Was it tough effort at the Olympics when you had like dead time to just kind of wait around? Like I, I always heard at the Olympics, like you're there, but sometimes you have to wait, and it's there's there's time where you have to kill. Yeah. Was that tough? Like I don't know. I feel like a, a, an Olympic athlete, you'd have like a buffet at your service at all time. You could do, you could make mistakes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Did you find that was ever tough at the? Yeah, Olympics? like you could a bit. I think the trick was I, I'm not that fanatical about my weight. I think I'm a bit lucky because I'm naturally near the weight I have to be. And I, yeah, exactly. I got a high metabolism. Like I stay pretty lean. As soon as I start lifting weights, I just lose weight. Um, to. Like, at the games, they have all these buffets, and the food's, I found it pretty good, but you don't have total control over it, and that freaks some people out who are, like, I think some athletes get a little too high-strung, and they're just, like, you know, so concerned about everything that they eat that, like, you know, they'll they'll stress them out. But I just think of, like, uh, Usain Bolt had, like, chicken fingers before he won a gold medal or (laughs) whatever. Didn't he have, like, well, there's free McDonald's at the, uh, I think he had chicken McNuggets. Yeah. So at all times you can have McDonald's. Yeah, pretty much. For every athlete or just the Canadian athletes? <laughs> nah, just every once in a while. Like it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to have a little one, you know, a little cheeky nugget or whatever. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Free McDonald's. It's like Richie Rich in the movie. He's got it in his yeah. house. That's crazy. But it's like at the start of the Olympics, like nobody's competed yet. So the, the, the lineup's really small. Nobody's really going there. You kind of It's like yeah. coaches and trainers who are going there. And then near the end, the line just gets longer and longer. And like at the end, I was I was so hungry. <laughs> we were done competing, and I waited in line for like forty five minutes and had like a Big Mac and fucking ice cream and nuggets and like ate maybe a quarter of it and just felt sick. And <laughs> that's motivation alone to get to the Olympics, free McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, that's unbelievable. You're bringing Ziploc bags. You're just stuffing it, bringing it back to your room. That's crazy. Yeah. Is there is there ever do you call it a regatta? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we call it a regatta. That's like a series of races. Yeah. Is there yeah. Is, is there nervous energy for you? There must be. And oh, how do you yeah. ha- how do you handle it? Yeah, for sure. Oh. I started to get better. Like I used to get really worked up and like be really nervous about it. Like a good bit of nervousness is good, but um I like on the water like right up to the start, I would do like just like some deep breaths and calm down and and just uh, feel like it's normal. But for sure, at the Olympics, like the first time uh, in Rio, it was like crazy nerves. Like my brother and I were so on edge. <laughs> and then all this like extra hype and stuff you're not used to. Because like sailing's not like a big ticket sport. And it's hard to watch as a spectator. Like it's kind of a brutal spectator sport. <laughs> first of all, we're like out on the ocean. There's no stands. There's no way to watch it. And then... We do these big long races, and you need binoculars to even try to make out who's doing what. And then, uh, so you show up at the Olympics, and all of a sudden, there's like cameras around and and reporters and all this attention being paid to it. But then you got out on the race line, we were just like, ah, oh, this is the same same guys we always race against. Like just same dudes. We're just doing the same thing. Now we're just in Rio. Yeah. Same, yeah. And we're wearing like funny costumes. <laughs> What was the biggest difference that you thought, uh, what was the biggest difference from Rio to Tokyo? COVID. <laughs> like, lockdown everywhere in Tokyo, like, they they were really on top of it and they had good control over it. Yeah. But um, for on the water, though, like, we kind of forgot about that. It was kind of the same thing. Like, we had to wear a mask the whole time and then the second we launched our boat, like, took the mask off and put it in the life jacket pocket and then we just got back to racing. But... There were only 19 boats in, in Tokyo, and we were 26 in Rio. Oh. And that makes quite a big difference because you're on almost, like, the same size race course. And um, the boats on the water, like, really affect each other. Like uh, like I was saying, the wind is turbulent behind those buildings downtown. Same thing when it passes over a sail. So, like, you're always fighting each other for position for clean air on the race course. And... Um, the fewer the boats there are, the less like density is an issue and staying away from packs of boats. So it was more spread out and more of a speed game. Is Whereas, it is it know. common to hit other boats? Uh maybe a little love tap here and there, but yeah. but hopefully no big collisions. 
okay. didn't have any uh uh yeah we had a little couple little taps usually like out of anger okay in a really tight scenario you do get really close to each other yeah but yeah like in hockey there's like a such thing as a greasy hockey player is there such thing as a greasy sailor oh yeah oh yeah sure. you know them yeah oh yeah yeah i know them they exist yeah give me a Almost. scenario how you could be a greasy sailor well like i mean it's pretty much a self-police sport mm. so like there's all these rules and and even though they are black and white and if you had like a perfect like helicopter view of the race course all the time and you know you could analyze it you could tell who's in the right and who's in the wrong but like you know you, you're approaching a mark and there's two boats coming in like at the last minute somebody can try to squeeze in there and like squeeze between you and the mark and they're not allowed to but they just like hit you and go go ahead with it but the worst is if someone like fouls you like they they made a foul like that but then they gained massively from it but it totally fucked over your race like it can just mess you up completely and then they don't uh they just don't even look back like you yell at them and they just they just keep going it sounds similar to like race car driving just at a slower pace like if you're making a yeah. turn and you bump another guy and the other guy's screwed and the other guy takes off oh yeah yeah i've been watching more formula 1 recently and it's so similar like your race can be completely ruined by somebody else so there's a lot of that like especially at the start of the race everyone's really close together and you're jockeying for position you're trying to get like right on that front line and if somebody like screws you up then that can be yeah, it's so hard to come back from behind at the start and yeah when someone does that you're just like just rotted so for an example like after the race and you're talking with your buddies about the race and like hey how'd it go out there what happened here what happened there like would a topic of conversation be like whoa i caught a great gust of wind at the 20 minute mark of the race like is that something someone would say and maybe would yeah. would someone else rebuttal to that and be like yeah you got lucky because you got that caught a wind or would it be oh, yeah. like no it was skill i found that wind that i went with it is that something that would be said yeah that's pretty close that's pretty close for sure like usually like racing at a high level you're you're talking about like managing risk and you're looking at like what's going to happen with the wind and really like it's those wind shifts the change in direction that makes a big difference so if everybody's going over to the left side of the race course and you go over to the right side by yourself you're just either going to be first or last so it's a risk and if you did it you're just like i saw this breeze coming you know i got my meteorologist back home texting me and like i thought the wind was going to shift right and then like it shifts right and you're winning by a mile but if it shifts left you're just like ah that was bullshit and bad luck so there's definitely a bit of that there's like you got to play that game and and whether that was smart to do that or not depends if you really, if you needed to win the race to win the regatta, like maybe that makes sense. But usually that's just a high risk move that yeah. nobody would do. You can't win. That's why you have a regatta. Like you have like a series of 10 races. Are you studying the weather before a race? Yeah. Always like a, a cursory study. Like we, we had, um, we had a team meteorologist and these guys are, are unreal. Like guys and girls who who study this stuff like they could be just doing it from their computer wherever or some teams bring them to to japan that was obviously challenging with with covid the size of the teams was small but like the big budget teams like the british americans french australians Mm. like they would have a meteorologist there full-time just to just to like monitor the weather look at all the different models see what's going to happen and produce forecasts for the team for like what the current and the wind is going to be doing. Mm, cool. How do you yeah. start a, a sailing race? Is it just everyone will line up on the line and open your sail and go? Cause you don't have a motor. Like how does everyone line up at the exact same time and go? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's like, like I was saying earlier, how about you're jockeying for position? Mm. You have this start line. So there's like imaginary start line. Just like draw Say it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll draw it out. So like you have this line that's, drawn between two two boats or like one boat and a buoy but say the wind's coming down from the top of the page and we got the two boats here okay this will be like your race committee rc this one's always called the pin and so they've got people on the boat like they have flags and stuff Mm. like like old time signals they send signals with flags still okay so there's a guy look there's there's people here looking across this line and they give you a five-minute countdown. They give you, like, a six-minute warning. And then they give you a five-minute. And then basically for 
three, two, one. And you got a few minutes to like position yourself near the line. Okay. Decide so where, where are end. all the boats right now? All the like, boats are like, they're like down here. And the race is starting this? The race is going to start this way. This way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, when you're sailing upwind, you got to sail at angles to the wind, like approximately 45 degrees away from the wind. Okay. So you're sailing at angles through it. So you're going to cross through this starting line at an angle at zero. And if you cross early, you're disqualified. But oh, if you're man. under the line, you're okay. So you want to be as close to the line as possible, going as close to fast, full speed as possible, but not any closer. Like you want to be just six inches below the line. Man, that's a hefty consequence. If you Like I feel like so you're eliminated you don't even get a second chance like racing like if you go before the gun yeah like like club racing around here they do it depends on the flags they fly but at the olympic level like there's always it's always just a straight um u flag or black flag which means you're you're dsq'd if you go over before uh before go anytime after one minute and before go Hmm. so you gotta be but like the further you ahead you are in the race the uh, more advantage you have, like the more clean wind you have, so you're really fighting hard for that. Like if you start at the back, that's what I was saying. Like just like Formula One, if you get taken out before corner one, like yeah, that's it's a hard go to climb back from that. And sailing is the same way. Like you want to be right at that line. You're getting the leftover wind if you're at the back. Exactly, and it's like you're going slower if you're in that wind. So, so the start's very important. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Depending who you talk to, it's like. Fifty percent of the race, or thirty percent of the race, right at the start. Hmm. Do you have to wear a life jacket when you sail? Yeah, yeah, you do. Like they used to be a little bit more lax on it, but now they've been been uh, hounding down on it. it. Used to be like you only had to wear one if they put up this flag if it was windy enough, hmm. and it's still that way on a lot of club racing. But when you're on a bigger boat, it's safer, and you know it's not going to tip over or anything. But uh, yeah, we have to wear them. Have you ever had any close accidents, like drowning scenarios? Yeah, yeah, I've had a couple, like, like I was a little lax with a life jacket one day, so wear your life jackets, it's good. <laughs> like, I, I've had a scenario where, like, a squall came through, it was super windy and rainy, and, like, couldn't see anybody else, and then, like, the boat flipped over, and I was, I went after a piece of equipment that got separated, and I didn't have my life jacket, just to, like, get this $200 pole or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the boat was like drifting away from me faster than I could swim back to it. And I was like, couldn't see anybody or anything else. Gear was filling up with water. I was like, didn't have a life jacket. I felt like an idiot. I made it back, but I was just like, oh, that was that was close. I'm thinking of the Truman Show. Yeah, well, yeah, it was like that scene. You're like, like gulping down water when you try to swim. Fuck. Yeah, that was sketchy. That was in St. Mary's Bay. Oh no way. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that would, I always, water sports, yeah, I always think of that. Yeah. I always think of the worst. <laughs> like, the, yeah. like, I'm just one of those guys, it's just you think of, like, what could happen. Yeah, you realize you're kind of vulnerable out there, but I've been more freaked out probably surfing. Like, uh, I haven't been surfing much recently, but I got pretty into it for a while, and, like, getting, like, your leash snaps, and you're separated from your board, and you're in, like, pounding surf, and yeah. I'm not, I'm not that good of a swimmer, actually. No way. Yeah. No I wouldn't way. have thought that. I'm like, okay, but my brother is really bad. He basically can't swim. Huh? Yeah. Because when you're a sailor, like, you just spend all your time on the water, not in the water. Like, for a lot of sailors, it's like, they don't like swimming at all. That's the most bizarre statement I've ever heard. <laughs> same with, like, fishermen. They don't swim. A lot of fishermen can't I guess. Swim. You spend all this time on the water. You, like, get used to being floating on the water. Totally comfortable, happy there, but like you don't you don't want to get in the water. It's like something's gone really wrong if you're in the water. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Who am I to argue? I don't know. What's, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's kind of common. I also know like sailors who are really good like fast swimmers and do yeah. for exercise and stuff. But I'm pretty brutal. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. As long as you're good at staying on the boat, I guess that's all that matters. Yeah. Who exactly. cares? Um. Uh, training and trying to get better. It's like you've been to the Olympics twice. Are you still training for the next Olympics in 2024, I'm assuming? Yeah. Like, how how does that aspect of your life work? I've got to be retired now. Yeah? I'm retired. I'm like, I got a career. I'm an engineer, and I work work full-time. And so, like, this last Olympics was 
it was amazing. It was a great opportunity, and, like, we worked super hard to get back to that level. But I was balancing work and school, I mean, work and training, and just, like, just on the edge of burnout all the time. Really? And I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked with my career, so I'm going to focus on that, step back from Olympic sailing, try right. to help the next generation. Yeah. Oh, yeah? You're involved with the, the youth when it comes to sailing? Yeah, a little bit. I should be more, but help out like coaching at the you know, local club or yeah. or mentoring some of the younger teams and stuff. There's some there's some really promising young teams coming up. Some girls from Chester just got a uh, bronze medal at the European Championships, finished sixth at the Worlds. So no way. Yeah, you should get them on the podcast. I will. Are they living cool. out in Chester? Yeah, most of the time they're away training, but they're Man. living the lifestyle we were doing. Six or seven years ago, like we used to be abroad for eight months of the year, training and traveling and stuff. We had a guy, uh, Brett Himmelman. You know him? He's a kayaker, or no canoe? Yeah. Oh, fuck, I should know this. Canoe or kayaker, Brett. one of them. And same thing. He's down in Florida eight months of the year, just training, something like that. He's just he's traveling yeah. around the world to hot destinations where there's water, and just sounds like the life. Yeah. You just you're on the water training, good weather. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Like I mean. I feel so fortunate to have gotten to do it. And like the sailing, you get to travel to all these cool places and you kind of have to go. Cause like we, yeah, the events are always held all over the world and like the venues are all a little different. So you got to go. And like I said, like show up two weeks early or maybe more, Yeah, get to know the place, get an Airbnb and you like get to know the venue, the city and stuff. Like you kind of live there for a bit. Yeah. Move on to the next place. What's, all the same people. What's the funding like with Sailing Canada? Like, do they yeah. support you for that stuff, traveling? Yeah, it's pretty tough. There's good support if you get to be, like, like top six in the world. If you get to be up there posting good results, then Own the Podium can kick in or some of these funding programs that mm. have a lot of money. But it's always a struggle. Like, Canadian sailors are always out fundraising. So. Oh, yeah? We, we funded, like, 60 to 70% of our money was private uh fundraising and then probably the other 30 or so was was government money so based on our results and stuff you get a get carding so you can get a little living stipend meant to pay your rent and food and stuff like that okay cool what are some of the top countries in the world that are dominating sailing australia has been dominant in our class for a long time um France is really good. Great Britain. The U.S. has had a history of it, but they've struggled. No, not many medals. Like one medal in the last two games, right. so not many. But the U.K. pretty dominant. A lot of Euro European centric, but Australia and New Zealand are also really strong. I wonder why that is. Uh yeah, it's that's the that's the ultimate question what does canada have to do to get there like well i guess australia it's like it's an island so there's water everywhere yeah even though it's a huge (laughs) but you know what i mean yeah they got they got a good climate for it and like i've been trying to get a bit involved too like learning about how sail nova scotia operates and sail canada i've been on the board of sail nova scotia i'm on the high performance committee and like trying to like help guide the decisions for how we can be more competitive Mm. Because really, like, Canadian sailing, we've, we've struggled. We haven't produced a medal since 2004. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, we've we've come close. Like, Sarah Douglas was near a medal in, in Tokyo and finished up um, further back. But she was, you know, right till the last race, she was in the hunt. So we've got some promising sailors for sure. But uh, it's a huge challenge, like... You need a lot of funding. You need a lot of expertise. You need, like, institutional expertise. On these boats, like, it gets pretty technical, like, knowing how to get the most out of the boat within the rules. Like, there's, you know, the top countries, they have boat rights, like, engineers, you know, teams of sailors and coaches working, and then they've got a huge backdrop behind that top team that gets to go to the Olympics. They've got, like, all their training partners and all the other kids and people racing at national championships and we don't have quite as much like depth in the in sailing in canada anymore 
with your experience with sailing, do most of like you're talking about these girls out in Chester that are at the Worlds now and they're doing great. With your experience with sailing, do a lot of these people start young, like below the age of ten, like when you started, to in order to be where they are now, or have you ever seen people start late? Yeah, I, for sure most people do. But uh, I know like Chris Cook was one of the best Canadian fin sailors of all time. Like he came close to winning a medal in Beijing. Uh, he's been in the top ten at the Olympics twice, I think, and. And he didn't start till he was 16. No way. So, and he had like this, he had a different approach to sailing. Like he didn't, he didn't care about trying to we- read the wind. Like I was saying, he would never be that guy going out looking for clouds and wind somewhere. What did he look for? He just played the rest of the fleet. He was like, I'm just going to park myself next to these guys and go faster than them. And he was just had really good technique. Made the boat go fast. What's his name? Chris Cook. Yeah. Chris Cook. Is there any videos of him on YouTube? Uh, Probably. Now he's selling houses, lots of real estate videos. Jeff, that's you. That's Chris. You got to look up Chris Cook. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like no. He's, he's, he's like a character. No, it's all good. If you can't get it, you can't get it. Yeah. I just want to see what's that. Visual. I just want a visual of someone that doesn't read the wind because, as of only, I don't know how long this podcast has been going, but in order to be a good sailor, I'm assuming you got to get into the wind. That's all I know. But this guy doesn't read the wind. I hope Chris that's Cook. true. This is what he's told me before. So. Oh wow, there he is right be there. Something. Oh, second one. Student of the game. Go just go full screen. It's a great start to the video. Well, I haven't seen this video before. Is that him? <laughs> That's him. Let's go, but let's go, Chris. I want to see yeah, just fast forward a bit. Yeah, he's not even, he's not even he's sailing. Not even sailing? Oh, the thumbnail was very <laughs> the thumbnail was very <laughs> deceiving. It's all good. Yeah. They do that. Yeah. Oh, oh, you just missed one, I think. Right. Nah, maybe not. No, it's all good. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's all good. You know, I see some video of sailing though. There's... I love those videos where the people they live on the catamarans and they just travel all over the, the Bermuda. And oh, oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Isn't that what they're called, catamarans? Yeah, that's that's when there's two hulls, like the there's two hulls with a yeah. bar in the middle. Yeah, there's like a mesh in the middle, and you lay on it. Yeah, that looks sick. Um, you got an engineering degree. I'm assuming engineering and sailing kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. Like there's there's probably uh, more more engineers in sailing than than other sports. I don't know. That, yeah, I got my industrial engineering degree at Dal. Congrats. Always been, thanks, always been interested in how things work and stuff. Like, I think I'm coming to terms with that. I'm just interested in stuff and how it works, and that goes well with engineering. I keep going back to wind, but in engineering, you need to be able to determine how wind is in order to put up a building or something like that. Is that wrong or is that correct? Is that architecture or is that, no, I guess that would be engineering. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's true. I mean, I, I work in construction, so, but I don't work as a designer. Like, I don't work doing those calculations i see those calculations done uh but there is there's always design for wind loads and stuff and you'll hit climatic data and design buildings to withstand a hundred year storm or whatever okay things like that going in to get your degree did you go into it knowing okay i've been sailing my whole life maybe this could somehow transfer over into something with a career in sailing or did you get into the degree going ah maybe not and i'll transfer into construction like did you start out with a different yeah, I think I, I thought about that for sure. Like, I was kind of interested. I talked to some other sailors who were also engineers who I competed against, and they were going to work on these cool boats like Imoka 60s, like super fast boats that are trying to break the round-the-world record and designing those boats. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds really cool. But uh, I don't know. I I Yeah, I ended up, like, I had this great opportunity to come work for this company and just did my first work term there and liked it and like had good opportunity to to move up and been really interesting we do projects all up in the arctic so in nunavut a little bit of northwest territories no way so managing projects in remote communities up there right now like as we speak yeah yeah those are the phone calls i'm getting oh do you have to go are you good for time <laughs> i'm good i'm good tell nunavut to relax we've got okay. a podcast right yeah. now so yeah. when was the last time you were up there What's it like up there? Just, uh, a few weeks ago, I got back from ranking and it was cold. I was going to, yeah. Yeah. That was my first <laughs> uh, time up there, like, when it was winter, like it was November. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's cold, man. That's like permafrost. It's above the tree line on the communities I've been into. In the Arctic Circle, it's just like dark all winter, light all summer, no trees, pretty barren. But uh, there's some really resilient communities up there, and like they're growing. Wow. So we, we build the infrastructure. We do buildings and roads and huh. gravel and steel pipelines and water lines and sewer lines and district heating huh. all kinds of stuff when you go up there how long are you there for at a time i've usually done like two week trips but uh i was gone for four weeks this this last time did two two communities back to back but our um our crew like the the tradesmen and supervisors and and uh operators and guys who go up there they do like a six week on two week off rotation okay have you ever seen the, what are they, the Northern Lights? Have you ever seen yeah. those up there? Yeah, I got to see them for the first time. Uh, but I got kind of unlucky. Like, they were just visible way off in the north, and then the forecast was really good for Northern Lights. And I don't know where you find that forecast. My girlfriend texted it to me. But <laughs> Did she? <laughs> yeah, I know about wind forecasts. I don't yeah. know about, Northern there Light. are Northern Light forecasts. Good to know. Yeah, I think there's like a solar flare or something. Oh, yeah. And, uh but then it clouded over and we didn't get to see them. Ah. Yeah. I've man there's some crazy pictures of that up on I'd yeah. love that's one thing I'd love to do. Just that part of the world in general I'd love to get up and go see. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. Up areas like you should look up areas around Pangnertung and Kikiktarjuak, like Baffin Island region it's like mountainous fjords. It's like the fort fjords in Newfoundland but in the oh, Arctic yeah. and they got huge mountains and stuff. It's cool. Have you ever seen a polar bear? I haven't. No. I've been sent photos and videos of polar bears oh. by our, our crew, but I've been in town when one was was coming through. But what do you? How did you find out it was coming through? Oh, they get on the radio and say, "There's a polar bear out by the dump." You know, be careful. What's the protocol if you see a polar bear? Like stop, drop, and roll. Like, what do you? Do you actually know what to do, or you just leave it alone? I find, I heard they're dangerous. Find like, someone with a gun. Yeah. Oh. They're like they're massive. I've certainly seen like taxidermied polar bears, but and they're huge. They're like I don't know, bigger than normal bears. Really big. I've seen a black bear. I've seen a black bear in Vancouver. Yeah. yeah these things are like they're just like massive. Like their paws are like this. Like they're terrifying. Oh yeah? Yeah. Coca Cola made it seem like they're great. Like those commercials going down the hill, the baby bear, you're like, Oh, the polar bear. Yeah. They're not bad at all. I've seen like um the skins, the the locals hunt hunt polar bears and use the the hides for their I think they they take them out on the sleds when they go um seal fishing in the winter <laughs> and they use the hides to like they use animals for for all their clothing and everything and like build sleds out of it and stuff. Wow. And they hunt uh hunt seals and build little huts and i think they lay down like polar bear furs on the ice to keep warm what was the biggest culture shock going up there for the first time oh man i don't know i got to try muck tuck which is like the seal or the whale blubber it's pretty it's pretty gnarly like it it's it doesn't taste that bad but it's like chewing on bones and it's fat it's like dense fat (laughs) i had it served up on a on a plate of cardboard with no name soy sauce that's what they call Inuit China, I guess. <laughs> How much did you pay for it? No, it was a gift. Oh, it was a gift. Yeah, okay, gift. good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it nice. wasn't, I wasn't at a muktuk restaurant or anything. <laughs> no. That's crazy. Yeah. Whale blubber. Whale blubber. Muktuk. Yeah. And uh, that's like the, that's the part they go for, the blubbers. Like that's the, the delicacy. Like that's what they want to eat. Oh, yeah. The meat, like not so much. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. So ba- we'll go back to say, dude, are you good for time? How- yeah, yeah, I'm good for time. What time? Is what time? It? How, how long are we going for right now? Oh man, it's 45. what? We're at like fifty. Fifty oh. minutes? Yeah. That did fly by. Yeah. Oh Jesus! I was like, there's no way I can talk for an hour about anything <laughs> interesting. But no man, you're killing it right now. You, we got whale blubber. We got the northern lights. We got polar bears. We got wind sails. Yeah. I did want to ask more about like the structure of the actual boats. I don't know if that's really interesting, like what they're made of and stuff. 
Is there anything interesting to talk about what they're made of? Yeah, and like, I think not really in Olympic sailing. Like, in the America's Cup, they're, it's all, like, the cutting edge of carbon fiber boats, and they're super lightweight and powerful. Like, But that's not what the Olympics is about. They try to keep the cost down. Because Olympic sailing, like, compared to other Olympic sports, I think only equestrian is more expensive. Because those horses, like, horses are, like, a million bucks, I guess, and you got to take care of them. And I've heard it's crazy. Like, sailing is one thing, but our boats, like, the rules are that they have to be fiberglass and they can't even be honeycomb construction and they have to be, like, they try to keep the cost down. But really, the hard part is, like, that means a lot of the stuff, the new technology is more expensive, but the boats last longer. Mm -hmm. And Olympic boats get sailed really hard. Like, you know, you train in them hard you sail them in heavy wind you like push them to the limit like you're being really physical with them so they don't hold up that long like they get a little soft and then the the uh yeah the race teams like put in new boats it's kind of like competition surfboards are i got you made really thin fiberglass so that they're super light and buoyant and perform really well but then they do like this big sick air and it snaps in half and (laughs) they just grab another board oh yeah (laughs) hey I also wanted to ask about uh, how do you transfer a sailboat to Tokyo or Rio? How do you get it there? Yeah, in shipping containers and like idiot themselves. The I boats known are that. yeah. Put the little boat on a big boat. How and, much does that cost? Uh it's nowadays it's like crazy expensive. You used to figure like a transatlantic forty foot container was like five or six grand, and you can fit a lot of boats in there, so you could split that. It's like not that bad. It takes a long time though. Like you gotta. You load your boat in the container and some trucker drives it off to a port in Georgia and then it sits and then it gets on the boat and it's like six, eight weeks at least. But now with the COVID delays, it's crazy. It's like a container that probably costs like 25 grand and it's going to take three months. And you end up just like you can't have enough boats to ship them around. So we had, man, at the end of the Rio campaign, we had four boats on three different continents we had like a boat in north america south america europe and it was actually four continents if you count israel is in asia so we had like four boats in four continents and they're shipping and do you have like a tracking number like like some how do you keep how do you keep track of it that's a lot of money moving around you yeah want, it's like yeah. when you're at a bar and they hand you like a, a little tab and it lights up when your table's ready like they give you one of those like how do you keep track of it uh, and uh, the sailing campaign is like running a business. Like you gotta like manage all this stuff. But we we always just like tagged along. We were kind of like the only Canadian team in in that quad before Rio, and we tagged along with the bigger teams. And and they usually like had people who handled logistics, and we just like paid our share to go in the container. We didn't like manage the logistics of booking the whole thing. We were just like everybody's moving their boats to the same places. So like you've got world championships in israel and then you got to move all those boats to argentina for the next game for the next world championship and then those boats are going to rio so you just like call around you're like all the spanish have room in their container let's see like if we give you two thousand euros can you take our boat from israel to argentina and then a lot of logistics going on there yeah yeah but we were like yeah we were just like buddies with everybody like the stereotypical canadians we were just really friendly yeah yeah it's like (laughs) Yeah, in the Olympic yeah. Village, like the people just mu- love Canadians. They must. Yeah, you know, mostly, like you know, yeah. What's what what's what's there to hate about us? Yeah, we just want to have a good time. It's pretty nice to have that that reputation, you know. Yeah, when you travel, like uh, yeah, being around when we were being tourists for the few days after Rio, just people grab you, take a photo, like oh Canada, I love Canada. <laughs> I've got a cousin in Saskatchewan, you know, that kind of thing. And I also wanted to ask a uh, most famous Olympian that you met. Uh, maybe Jeannie Bouchard. Nice. She was kind of friends with uh, one of the sailing team girls. Like they made friends down in Rio. So okay. she hung out with us a bit, which like does a lot for your credibility, you know, Yeah, hanging out with her. You, you see a lot of, in Tokyo, I didn't really get to see anyone. One yeah. like sailing was in another city so we were in our own satellite village so it's just just sailors and two like you just weren't allowed to do anything that must have sucked just like not being able to see the city 
like near the end it did for sure i was also like keen to surf and we were in this surf town like we drove by like 12 surf breaks on our way and there were people surfing every single day that's awesome and like the waves are small but like i love it like i would have loved to just you know take a day off and go surfing yeah but there's nothing you could do day off just hang out in the hotel room dude you got to experience it though like even though i know one of the times you didn't get to go out but you were at the olympics twice dude like it's so oh, sad yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. you know you'll have that you'll have that on the resume forever yeah you i don't need anywhere. to complain about it like it's, no no it, it didn't sound experience. like that i'm just yeah. saying like yeah it's just you know it's a great thing to be able to say you did when you were younger you yeah. know like when you're an old man you sit down talk to the kids yeah i did this yeah now you try you know like it's just, that's right it's a sick thing to be able to say you did yeah and any kids out there listening like it's so worth it it's such a good experience all around and like they always say it's about the journey not the destination the corny stuff but like we had so much fun fun on our olympic campaign traveling around with a bunch of other young guys who just wanted to race sailboats and postpone their real life and yeah. i'm so glad i did it like now i'm like settling down real life career i'm enjoying those kinds of things but i'm I'm really glad I did that. Like, just bum around the world for six years sailing boats. That's the thing. I say that all the time. Like hockey, some people, yeah, it's a waste of time when you're young, but it's like, eh, not really. I learned I learned social skills, you know. I, I learned how to deal with people. I learned how to yeah. take of constructive criticism. I learned a lot of things with uh, with sports. And, you know, I'm a 30-year-old yeah. man sitting here in front of you, and, yeah, I've learned a lot from playing sports, and I'm sure you've learned a ton with sailing. And now professional life comes, and I think we can handle it a little bit better because of the adversity that we went through when we were younger that's how i feel maybe maybe people For disagree sure. but that's what i feel about it i agree completely wicked yeah um do you want to say anything before we end the podcast do you want to give a shout out to the parents your brother nunavut and yeah. if you want to give a shout out yeah go for it yeah sure uh yeah shout out to like all the supporters my girlfriend aaron very supportive of me you know wanting to do the olympics again coming home late at night she'd have food ready she was looking after me she was doing amazing and yeah my parents for their support my brother like when i say we had a lot of logistics he handled that i was too young <laughs> didn't know what the hell i was doing and all of our supporters like we had we had a lot of donors to make it possible and it was such such an amazing experience they opened up for us and i hope to be able to do the same someday give back to the community Awesome. Well, Jacob, you're the man. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Best of luck up in uh, Nunavut. You can take your calls, and I know uh, they'll be they'll be thankful to have you now. Um, yeah. All right, I guess that's it. Everyone listening, thank you very much for tuning in. It's Wednesday, hump day. Have fun, work hard. What did you see? You said wear your life uh, wear your life jacket in the water. Yeah, yeah. Wear your life jacket. Wear, wear your keel cord. Wear that's your keel cord. Read the wind. Am I missing anything? That's pretty much it. All right. Yeah. We're out. Peace. Well, I rise up every morning at a quarter to eight. Some woman who's my wife tells me not to be late. Whoa. I kiss the kids goodbye. I can't remember their names. Whoa. And week after week, it's always the same. And it's old boys. Can't you code it? Whoop. And program it right. Nothing ever happens in this life of mine. I'm howling up the date on the Xerox line. And it's code in the day to give the keyboard a punch. Then cross correlate and a break for some lunch. Correlate, tabulate, process, and screen. Program, print out, regress to the mean. And it's old boys, can't you code it? Program it right. Nothing ever happens in this life of mine. I'm hauling up the data on the Xerox line. Yeah, then it's home again, eat again, watch some TV, make love to my woman at 10.53. I dream the same dream when I'm sleeping at night. I'm soaring over hills like an eagle in flight. And it's old boys, can't you code it? Program it right. Nothing ever happens in this life of mine I'm hauling up the data on the Xerox line Someday I'm gonna give up all the buttons and things I'll punch that time clock till it can't ring Burn up my necktie and set myself free Cause no one's gonna fold, bend, or mutilate me And it's old boys, can't you code it? Program it right Nothing ever happens in this life of mine I'm howling up the data on the Xerox line And it's old boys, can't you code it? And program it right 
Nothing ever happens in this life of mine. I'm holding up the data on the Xerox line. Thank you very much. Okay. Is, is the tape rolling, Steve? Yes, sir. <laughs>